Dorothy said it well, didn't she? There's no place like home. Home's the place that, in my family, where we go to for special moments in life, for, for birthday parties, for, for other big celebrations, graduations, for holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter. It's the place where we go to celebrate. It's the place where we go to enjoy each other's company, or at least try to. It doesn't always happen. But it's also the place where we go in moments of great loss, in moments of heartache, those times where, where we're hurting. Isn't home the place that we go? I mentioned last week that there was a time when we found out that my sister uh, had cancer, stage four cancer. Man, that was one of those times, one of those times where I just felt that urge just welling up within me to go home. To be in that place that I knew as a child that was a safe place, where I knew I would be loved, where I knew I would be comforted, I wanted to be home. But is home really where we belong? Is that the place that we need to be and our minds need to be fixed during those times of heartache and loss. Could it be that the place where you come from is not necessarily the place where you belong? Let's take a look at Genesis 23 this morning. We're going to look at an incident in the life of Abraham, the most crushing moment in his life, the moment of greatest loss that he's ever experienced. And we're going to see where his eyes go during that time. So Genesis chapter 23, it's uh, 20 verses. We'll just read the whole thing together. Would you stand with me? Let's read from God's word. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me the property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. And he said to them, if you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the price, for the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Verse 10, now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites of all who went in at the gate of the city, of his city. No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. 
Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, but if you will, hear me, I, I give the price of the field. Accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, my Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area, was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. The death of Abraham's wife, Sarah. Heart-rendering. Heart-rendering. It always amazes me when I hear of a couple who's celebrating their 40th or their 50th. On a very rare occasion, maybe their 70th wedding anniversary. But at this point in Abraham and Sarah's life, they had been married for a hundred years. It had been 62 years since they left Ur of the Chaldeans. God said, I want you to go to the place I'm going to show you. And they went 62 years. Verse 1 of chapter 23 tells us that Sarah lived total of 127 years. Can you imagine? This couple had been through thick and thin together. They had walked through tremendous highs and devastating lows. There was a musical that came out a couple years ago, right around when I, when I first started here, about uh, the fictional portrayal of the life of P.T. Barnum. It was uh, called The Greatest Showman. And, and at the very beginning, uh, lovesick Charity Hallett, she sings her heart out to P.T. Barnum, and she declares this, however big, however small, I want to be part of it all. Share your dreams with me. You may be right, you may be wrong, but say that you'll bring me along to the world you see, to the world we close our eyes to see. She was trying to tell him that no matter what, no matter where life takes you, no matter where your dreams take you, I want to go there with you. Now, I don't know if Sarah's actually saying words like that to Abraham, but I do know that the world that God had called him to was a world that she walked with him towards every step of the way, from, from Ur to Canaan, down to Egypt and back, traveling this road trip all around the promised land. She had been, been there for that dramatic victory over the four invading kings that had taken their nephew Lot. She had been there when God changed Abraham's name. God changed her name. These were epic moments in the rearview mirror. Their luggage had stickers all over it of the places that they had been before. But they weren't all great places, were they? And there were some that I'm sure they would rather just tear off 
and forget about. When she and her husband deceived people about their marriage. When things went south twice. And when they found them at the mercy of these foreign kings and had to rely on God to rescue them. And he did. Not one of the proudest moments. What about this one? When she urged her husband, take matters into your own hands. We, we know we're supposed to have a kid. We, we don't have a, a kid yet. So, so spend some time with my maidservant here. Have a child with her. And that was a decision that brought pain and bitterness and jealousy. But then at the ripe old age of 90, something happens. She experienced with Abraham the first taste of God's promise. And it came in, in this laughable experience as Isaac was born to her. Like her husband, Sarah was a woman of faith. Isaiah 51 tells us, listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were hewn, and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who bore you. Hebrews 11, 11 tells us this, By faith, Sarah received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, she, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Together, Abraham and Sarah, they walked through life together. Together they trusted in God, and together they watched him protect and provide and bless and even tests. Last week we took a look at the hardest test of all. A test when Abraham was asked to prove his love to God. Prove that he loved God more than this incredible gift that God had given him in this son, Isaac. And though Abraham had failed other tests in the past, failed on multiple occasions, he passes this one. Now, I don't know what happened between Abraham and Sarah after that. I've heard that some people think that this was, this was the last straw. I mean, imagine what it would be like if you heard that your husband went out and he was going to sacrifice your son, this miracle baby. What are you doing, Abraham? They think that maybe at this point when Abraham came back with Isaac and they told the great news of how God had provided, she just said, that's it. I, I, I'm done packed up her bags, and just took off. And that's how they explain the move from, at the end of 22, it says he's in Beersheba, and then as we're in 23, it says they're in Kiriath Arba, Hebron. That's how they explain that, and they, they think that, that, that she, she took off and went 30 or 40 miles north, and that's how she lived out the rest of her days. Could it be that she was so disgusted with, with what Abraham was about to do that she just spent the final years apart from him? And it may be possible, but I don't see any real evidence for that here. In fact, as the Bible speaks about Sarah's faith, it makes me think that she, like her husband Abraham, had had, had her faith 
grown through the years, through the, the journey that they had traveled together and seen the ups and downs and see how God was faithful time and time again. He could be relied upon. It makes me think that her trust in God was solid to get her through even that devastating news. What we do know is that whatever happened in Genesis, between Genesis 22.19 and 23.2, it didn't have any impact on Abraham's love for his dear wife. Verse 2 says, Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah, to weep for her. Now, we all grieve in different ways, don't we? Some people handle it with, with, with this, this seemingly sense of, of courage that it, just, it just doesn't even make sense. They don't even shed a tear, and it makes us wonder, do you even do you feel anything here? What's going on here? Did you really love them? You know, we, question, we have all kinds of questions. But Abraham sobbed over the death of his bride. This is a heart-rendering loss. Have you been there? I know that some of you have been there before. And I know that some of you are there today. Right here and now. This past Tuesday, our church lost one of its longest standing and beloved members. And just as Abraham and Sarah grieved, it's right for us to grieve the loss of Becky Davis. It is right. It's right for us to feel pain. It's right for tears to be shed. Maybe right now it's not, not the death of a, of a loved one that you're mourning. There are a lot of other things that can cause us to grieve in life, aren't there? Maybe it's a friendship that's on the rocks. Or maybe a marriage that just feels like it is stripping the life from your bones. Maybe it's an estranged child. Or the loss of a job, the death of a dream, the realization that you're not getting any younger. <laughs> or the feeling like everything in life is just spinning out of control. I've been there. But where do you go from here? Where do you go from here? Sometimes during those moments of great loss, we can feel lost, can't we? Sometimes when we find ourselves in the grip of emotion, our minds begin to ask questions. Sometimes our faith is shaken to its core. Sometimes we want nothing more than to retreat to a safe, to a familiar place. Pay attention to what Abraham does next. He shows us what people of faith should do in those dark moments of great loss. Look at verse 3. Abraham rose up from before his dead, and said to the Hittites, I'm a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Abraham knows that he doesn't belong there. He says to the Hittites, I'm just a, I'm just a traveler here. I'm just a temporary resident. I'm not one of you. He was a stranger and an exile, we hear in Hebrews. He was a man without a country. He stood on the soil that God had promised to give to his descendants, and yet it wasn't his. Not yet. It was foreign soil. And now that Sarah had passed away, he must have even felt like more of an alien. 
You know, it's one thing to travel through life with a partner, with a friend, with a, with a, with a loved one, but it can be much more challenging to venture through uh, uncertain places in life, in uncharted territory, when that person is no longer with you. Abraham and Sarah were a team. They were moving forward, looking out to the fulfillment of God's promises. God had told them that he was going to give their descendants this land to you, to your offspring. I will give this land, Genesis 12, 7. 13, 15, he said, all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. Again, in 13, 17, arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. Then again, in 15, 18 and 17. 18, for 62 years, they had journeyed together in hope. But now Abraham would march forward alone. And that must have been difficult. But I think also difficult would have been the, the realization that he didn't have much time left either. She lived to 127. Well, that meant he was about 137. Abraham knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God had promised this land and he was going to give it to him. And yet at the same time, he faced the reality that he would not live to see the day when it was actually his. You know what he could have said? He could have just said, you know what? Forget it. I've gone down this road long and far enough. Now my wife is dead. I'm going to be right there with her before you know it. Hey, I'm old. I'm tired. I'm going home. I'm done here. I'm going back to where I belong. He doesn't do that. He could have. It was customary to do so. It's what people today so often do. If a loved one passes away overseas, what do we do? We bite the bullet and have them brought back and buried in a place near home. It's the natural thing to do. When someone we love passes, we look back. We reflect. We get sentimental. Sometimes we we argue over who gets what. We get nostalgic. We return to the place where we think we belong. Abraham doesn't do that. Why? Why? I think because at this point in Abraham's life, he was so sure of God's promises that even though he was somewhere far away from where he was from, he knew where he belonged. He knew where he belonged. It wasn't his land yet, but that didn't matter. Where he belonged, where he truly belonged, was the place that God had prepared for him. Even in the midst of of heart-rendering, tremendous loss, his eyes were fixed on the promises of God and the place where he belonged. That's where his eyes were fixed. That's where his heart was. That's where he knew his wife needed to be buried. This wasn't home yet, but for his descendants, he knew it would be. And he knew that for them to be able to come back to the place where Sarah was buried that that would testify to them that all of his faith in God's promises was so real. Grandpa's faith was real. Hebrews 9, uh, eleven nineteen says, By faith, 
He went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. You see, rather than looking back, rather than giving in to doubt, rather than running to the familiar, the comfortable, the safe, Abraham looked with longing eyes out there toward the place God had for him. He stood on foreign ground, but his eyes were on the place where he belonged. And you know what? If you've placed your trust in Jesus, the same reality is true for you. You and I are standing here on this earth as strangers, as aliens. We don't belong here. Paul tells us that in Philippians. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that where our eyes are set? Is that where they're fixed? Or is our grip so tight on this place that we find ourselves in right now? This body, this soil, these hopes and dreams for this life. Didn't Jesus say, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Why did he say that? Because we don't belong here. And thank God we don't belong here because all of this stuff is just fading away. It's just crumbling. We try to build it back up. We invest money in it. We patch it up. We paint it. We do everything we can to protect it. And then it just crumbles down. Jesus went on to say, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's where you belong. Just like he did for Abraham, God prepared a far better place for us. The place where we belong, that's a place where where death and dying, they don't exist anymore. Where hearts breaking and fists flying are no more. Where, Where days aren't spent longing for the joy that we once knew, but Instead, we're continually experiencing all-satisfying joy for all eternity. How should Christians walk through times of loss? Like Abraham, we should do so with our eyes fixed on the place where we belong. The place where we're all headed if our trust and our hope is in Christ. Abraham knows where he belongs, so he plants his flag there by purchasing a piece of property to bury his wife. A couple of things to take notice here. Just, just two quick things. One, the Hittites, the Hittites know of Abraham's faith. They know it. Verse 5, the Hittites answer Abraham, Hear us, my Lord, you are a prince of God among us. See, unlike it seemed to be with with Lot as he lived in Sodom, Abraham's relationship with God, that was no secret as he dwelt in the land of Canaan. It was no secret. They may not have understood it. They may not have bought into it. But they knew that Abraham was a man of faith in God. Well, he lived in that place, that place that was not his own, with people who didn't share his beliefs. Abraham lived out his faith in God is you and I live out our days on this foreign soil. Do people know about you? 
Do they know about me? Do they see us living right here and now with our eyes fixed and focused, anticipating the day when we'll arrive in the world where we belong? Another thing to notice here is this, the price of the burial site. It was really high, but it was worth it. As he goes back and forth with Ephron, they eventually settle on this price of 400 shekels of silver. See in verse 16, Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. It's all very technical language here, and it's very, very clear uh, that time and time, and time and time again in this passage that they were in the sight of everyone. Uh, as this happened. It was a very public transaction that was taking place here. But the price, the price they eventually settle on, one scholar points out that that was tantamount to extortion. This was a ridiculously high price for this piece of property. But you know what? It didn't matter. It didn't matter. Apparently to Abraham, sending a loud and clear message to everyone that this land was officially, legally his that was well worth the investment. In fact, Ephron even offered him the land free of charge, but Abraham insists on paying for it. And I think that's because in his mind, staking a claim, staking a claim in the ground in the place that God had promised, that was something that had to be definitive. He wanted everyone to know. He didn't want any question to be, for there to be any question in anyone's mind that this was his land, even if it meant great cost to him. And this wouldn't be just Sarah's final resting place. The cave at Machpelah, that would become the central place where all of the patriarchs would be buried and important events in the life of Israel would take place. This was the place where Abraham would be buried, Genesis 25.9. It was the place where Isaac would be buried, Genesis 49.31. Jacob was buried there, Genesis 50. It would be the place where you remember the spies that were sent into the land to go scope things out. Joshua and Caleb, they would stop by this place before they go scope it out. It would be the place where David would be anointed king of Judah. This costly investment that Abraham made because of his faith in the promises of God, as he was looking forward to the world that he belonged, that would become a testimony. A testimony to the descendants that would come after that God was going to come through on his promises. And if you know your Bibles, you know that took some time. There were generations that passed by looking forward to the place where they belong. As you look forward to the place where you belong, what kind of investments are you making so that others might know and lay hold of the faith that you're holding on to so dearly? Are you giving generously? Are you giving extravagantly of these temporary fading earthly possessions or, or, or the wealth that we hold on to? Are you, are you giving it? Are you investing it so that the good news might go forth and unfading treasures in heaven might be built up? Even as he made preparations for his wife's burial, Abraham was living for the world 
that he belonged in. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And even though there would be an earthly world that they would possess, this promised land, what he was really looking forward to, we're told in Scripture, was a place beyond the shores of this earth. Hebrews 11.13 says that these all died. All these, all these giants of faith, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised. But having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on, her, on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. That's what those who trust in Jesus are looking forward to. Are you looking forward to that? A better country? A heavenly one? Paul wrote, Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven. From it we await a Savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform, thank God, transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Yes, this is where we live. Yes, this is a place of broken hearts and broken dreams. Yes, we're not immune to sorrow or suffering or great loss. But this isn't the place where we belong. Like Abraham, we're just sojourners here. We're strangers. We're exiles. Like Ephesians 2.6 tells us, we've been raised up with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly places. We take seriously and hold tightly to the words of Colossians 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. How should Christians walk through times of great loss? We walk through times through, of, of sadness, of grief, of sorrow, of loss, with our eyes fixed on the place where we belong. We look forward to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You and I might be from here, but because of Jesus, we don't belong here. Amen? Amen? So like Abraham, let's live for the life where we belong. Let's live for it. When life is new, hopes are high. When there's so much more to look forward to than to look back on. What about even when the trail is steep and the footing has become difficult? Or when we slip when we fall, when it feels like we're sliding backwards. When, when we traveled so far, but haven't made it to where we, we thought we were going or wanted to, to arrive. When we've come to the end and wish that we could go back to the good place 
that we once were. Those times, let's remember where we belong. Would you pray with me?